Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Comics Collective, the weekly podcast where we read and discuss a collection of comic books or or a graphic novel. I'm your host, Dallas. And I'm Anne. And for today's episode, we are going to be interviewing David Pepos about his upcoming work on the OZ. Hi, uh, thank you both so much for having me on the show. Uh, I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to catch up. And yeah, uh, I'm excited to talk about uh, a fun little Kickstarter we have uh, coming out August 16th. It's the long-awaited second issue of The OZ, which uh, for those who aren't familiar with the book, it's uh, like Mad Max meets The Wizard of Oz. So uh, thank you both for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I'm excited. We had you on the show last go-around for The OZ Kickstarter, and that was was quite a whirlwind experience for you, if I remember right. It really was. Um, you know, it was my first Kickstarter, uh, and I sort of I, I approached it very conservatively. You know, sort of what's the minimum amount of money I could get away with not going completely into the red on it, and um, how could I make that six thousand dollars in thirty days? And um, you know, I'm so blown away by the overwhelming support of the book. Uh, we funded in two hours. <laughs> uh, it, it was kind of like realizing like, oh, this isn't like a totally different ball game. This is like playing a different sport and learning it on the fly on a different planet with different laws of physics. Uh, and so, yeah, it was a, it was a huge learning experience. Um, it was so, uh, so validating uh, for me as a creator, um, kind of going out on my own and seeing that people would follow me from my previous work and, uh, and really embrace what I consider to be, I think, some of the best work of my career. Um, so I, I'm thrilled to come back for volume two. Um, you know, as, as people might know, having read my work in the past, the first issue is always the quiet issue. Um, and now that we've sort of established everything, we've gotten the necessary exposition out of the way, um, we really get to ramp things up in a massive way. Um, we get to introduce brand new characters uh, like the Prince of Lions and Jack Pumpkinhead. We get to explore dangerous new territory uh, across the occupied zone. And uh, we just really get to, uh, to, to raise the scale and stakes in a massive way as Dorothy embarks on a truly dangerous mission uh, to find her grandmother's long lost silver slippers uh, before they're used to invade our world. Um, So yeah, I I couldn't be more thrilled about it. Uh, Artist Ruben Rojas is just killing it with every page. Colorist Whitney Kogar has been delivering just beautiful work. And uh, letterer DC Hopkins uh, makes my dialogue work, uh, so I can't thank the man enough. Um, It's just a real just team of just pure A-listers and uh, that's not counting the murderer's row of cover talent uh, that we're going to be having uh, uh, for our variant covers uh, that we'll be revealing uh, uh, as the Kickstarter launches. That rules. Yeah. <laughs> you, you say the first issue is always the quiet issue. I had a chance to go through, you know, the, the first two issues. And wow, I just the work you did just setting stuff up in the first issue, this character and everything you're planning to do. It's just it blew me away. And like. I've been a fan of your work for at least the last, I want to say like the last year, but honestly, it's like the last six months, but I've gone through so much of your stuff. And it's just, it always surprises me how much depth you can bring to these characters and how you do it in such a, a unique, and it's it's a dark way. It's, you feel like the edge of it, but I would never say it's like gritty. It still retains a little bit of this like childhood flair, which is great because you, you know, made an adult version of Calvin and Hobbes. Now you're making an adult version of, the Wizard of Oz, and it's just, I I was so impressed, and I 
really can't wait to see what happens next. And I love it when a comic makes me feel like that. Thank you. I, you know, I, I think for me, the, the, the thing I'm, I'm really fortunate with, um, you know, I, I'm really fortunate that I, I, I have a partner who she reads mm-hmm. my work. Um, she's not a comics fan. And so I think as a result, I, I started my writing career just to kind of entertain her, uh, just to impress her a little bit. And, um, you know, as I, I can't impress her with comic book stuff. I have to sort of figure out, like, what's the emotion here? What's, like, something that's kind of universal that uh, a civilian would understand? And um, that's always been kind of my ethos for all of my books is, could I give this to a stranger who's never read a comic mm-hmm. and find something that's that, that feels um, a little more universal sort of that common trait and I think trauma is something that I always find myself returning to um you know I think that's something we all have our traumas in in our our lives and I think we all they shape us in a way and it becomes a question of can we ever transcend this or is this something that will define us and it's that push and pull that really defines our lives that really the 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 book of our lives so to speak and um so yeah you know I, I love writing like kind of sad characters who they start at rock bottom and then they realize they can go a little deeper than rock bottom. And how do they climb their way out? Um, I think that's the way for me that I'm able to justify sort of these, these grittier high concepts is to say, well, this could be just like an edgelord thing um, very easily, but by making it about the redemptive arc, Mm -hmm. you're kind of like, okay, there's that, there's, it's a thin ray of sunshine amidst all the clouds, but it's there and it's strong and it's bright and it's powerful. And I think that gives, I, I hope that gives readers a little bit of hope for their own lives. Um, it, certainly, it certainly helps me feel hopeful. Um, and, you know, especially, I, I guess I, sh- I should say this. I mean, I wrote this book during the Trump administration. I was, I was pissed off, um, you know, and, and being able to kind of channel that into a book like the OZ, um, you know, it's about as cathartic and therapeutic as one can hope from a creative work, uh, at least as a creator's perspective. Um, but I just, I know, I want to thank you for, for you know, I'm so glad that you found something that, like, in the characters that really resonated with you, because um, that's, a, you know, I don't, reviews are, I love reviews, they're great, but that's really right. not, you know, awards, same thing, sales numbers, I could care less about. Um, hearing that it connected with somebody I'm so used to kind of just writing these things in isolation and being like, boy, I hope somebody likes this. So to hear that it connected, um, it really means the world. So thank you for that. Yeah, I think piggybacking off of what both of you have been saying, um, I do think that you have a real talent for character work, David. I think you cut to the core of what makes a character great. And I, it's a real talent of yours that shows up in your work over and over and over again. But I think... Something that really speaks to me that you do, I'm I'm a huge fan of the worlds you've cho- you've chosen to explore. It seems to be like the same things, mm-hmm. and you're able to get the spirit of a piece so well. You it doesn't feel derivative when you explore Calvin and Hobbes or the, the OZ because you're not rehashing a story, but you're cutting to the spirit of what that is and telling a new story. So I I was just wondering what your process was like in channeling these works into your own original product well boy so thank you for the for the wonderful album um that is uh boy i i as you guys should be my hype people i i that it means it means the world as uh especially gearing up for this kickstarter the encouragement is very much appreciated um 
Yeah, you know, for me, I think it's all about, you know, it's what's a love letter, you know? Um, like there are things, there are pop culture elements that I like, and then figuring out like, how can I reference that, but in a way that like feels kind of original. I think it's part of why I like the mashup culture so much. Um, I was big into mashup music um, for a long time and just kind of figuring out like, what's the chocolate and the peanut butter that you can slam together? Or what's the pineapple on the pizza, you know? And um, that kind of, it also helps me in a utilitarian way because if I ever get kind of stuck in a ditch, I'm always like, well, there's two different threads that I can kind of oscillate between. So if something, you know, for example, Spencer and Locke, if, uh, you know, if things are feeling too dark and gritty and kind of the Sin City vibe, um, I can say, well, maybe I should do, you know, riff closer to Bill Watterson's Calvin and Hobbes and vice versa. You know, um, I think for me, it's, yeah, it's figuring out, you know, I made a deal with myself very early on, which is I don't want to write stuff that I don't care about. Um, you know, I, I just, life's too short and I feel like I only, you know, I want to do this for the rest of my life, but I know I only have a finite number of books in me. So I don't want to waste my time working on stuff that I don't care about. Um, and actually it's funny, I was tweeting about this a little bit this morning. Um, I have a process and the very first part of my process, you know, I come up with an idea or a title or, or a concept. And my very first thing that I do is I let it sit for a month, at least a month, um, sometimes three, sometimes six, sometimes a year. And um, I find that if I remember it in a month, if I remember it in three months or six months or 12 months, maybe there's some legs to it, as opposed to, you know, I tell my friends very stupid ideas all the time. And it's always like, is this stupid, stupid, or is this viable, stupid? And uh, they, they, I think they know since I tell them this probably at least once a week, um, they know that like 90% of those ideas, I'm going to like laugh once and forget about it. Um, so I think I think that longevity sort of helps me remember like, okay, I really like, um, I like Die Hard, you know, I'll throw that out there for going to the chapel. And so knowing like, okay, what did I like about it? You know, I, I think my time as a reviewer kind of speaks to that. I, I, I was the reviews editor at Newsarama. Uh, for about a decade. Um, I, I wrapped up actually about a year ago, uh, just before my last Kickstarter uh, started. And it forced me to really articulate what I liked about certain books and, and really put my money where my mouth is and show my work of, this is what I like about this series and this is what I don't like and here's why. And to say it in a way that's defensible and wouldn't have a creator jumping over the table at a con to beat the hell out of me. Um, and I think I've internalized that in a way where I'm kind of like, all right, if I consume a piece of pop culture and it really sticks with me, I'm kind of like, okay, I love the Fast and the Furious. And so thinking like, okay, you know, certain car chases would be really cool to have something in Grand Theft Astro or having like an individual drag race for some really high interstellar stakes. Um, so yeah, you know, I think, I think it's just uh, trying to have the maximum amount of fun with it um, because I feel like my time's limited, your time's limited, your budget's limited. And uh, if it doesn't feel like a hundred percent high test, um, like I feel like I've done something wrong. Um, so I, I, I feel like I, what I lack in polish, I make up for in enthusiasm. Um, and I, I, I want to keep you guys enthusiastic and that's really the ethos for everything I write. I like that. And I do want to say as someone that jumped on your work with Spencer and Locke, um, the polish has increased. That is a very good book but the OZ is a much better book. I, and I, I think that's cool. Thank you. 
I'd go so far as to say, and it's not to belittle any of my other literary children, um, I think the OZ is the best work that I've worked on. Um, I think even, and I, I love Scout's Honor, um, and it's funny because I was rapping, writing the OZ as I was picking up writing Scout's Honor. Um, I think the difference being is that um, the OZ, I, I had control over every element of it. Um, you know, I, I handpicked Ruben Rojas. We've been working on this book together for a very long time. Um, I handpicked Whitney Kogar, um, thanks to a recommendation from uh, Michael Mokio, uh, an alumni from Boom Studios and an alumni from Newsarama and a longtime friend of mine. Um, and same thing with DC Hopkins. I met him at a Denver Comic-Con a few years back and super sweet, lovely guy. And um, by sort of being kind of the central editorial conduit and working with just such just raw talent, um, it's very easy for me to be like, okay, like, we are 98% there, and here's a little tweak that we could do to like really kind of bump us up over over the over the line. And um, the team is so gracious; they really, um, I think they believe in the project. I, I really do, and they've been really just kind of leaving it all out in the field, which is the only thing that I I ask out of my team. Um, as I say, you know, if you if you try if you're trying your best, then that's all I can ask of you. And uh, yeah, boy, I, I I just I'm so proud of the OZ, and I'm so proud that we're self-publishing it. Um, you know, by you know, I I may have said this story last year, but um, you know, I've been looking to do Kickstarter for a long time. Um, I'm friends with Charlie Stickney, he's one of my best friends in the industry, um, and I consider White Ash to be kind of the best uh, success story of of a comics Kickstarter, uh, especially sort of morphing from Kickstarter to also the direct market. And Charlie had been telling me for a long time, um, the Kickstarter community and the direct market community, there's some overlap, but there's it's not a huge amount of overlap. There's a whole audience that I had done no outreach to. And when Diamond had it shut down last year, and when the conventions were shutting down, and all the publishers, including the ones that had said they had expressed interest in the OZ, their acquisitions pipeline suddenly narrowed sharply. I realized, oh, we could solve one problem with another. You know, we we had two issues of the OZ ready and the series that was, had been mostly written at that point. And uh, we can introduce ourselves to the Kickstarter community with like our absolute A game. Uh, and so I, I, I'm so heartened and I feel so empowered as a creator, um, knowing that I don't have to wait for permission anymore. If I have a story that I feel really passionate about, I can go to Kickstarter and I can sell it directly to our readers. And I know how to do printing and I know how to do uh, distribution and I know how to do fulfillment. And uh, combining that with the skills I've already picked up for editorial and production and publicity and marketing, suddenly, you know, it kind of opens up a whole new playing field. And in a way that I think oftentimes is even more financially equitable than the direct market. Um, and so it's it's just been a very heartening and I, i'm so grateful uh for all our yellow brick road warriors uh for joining us in our last campaign and uh i i hope to see them again for round two yeah it's just i'm trying to think of the, the right words to describe what i felt reading these and it's just like it's it's where like my childhood meets who i am today and it's such a crazy concept and you keep describing it as you know the wizard of oz meets mad max and yeah. i'm i'm so glad you did because i was like trying to put my finger on exactly what flavor of wacky insane this was and that's 
just it. And I don't, I don't, I honestly don't know what I was expecting jumping into it. But now that <laughs> you've said that, everything's like clicked together. So I have to ask, how did how did those two ideas like merge in your head? How did that come to be? So the OZ, so the OZ's been a long time coming. Mm-hmm. I should um, because I, I, you you might not know this, when Spencer and Locke came out, uh, you know, in retrospect, everyone's like, oh, I, I like that book. But at the time, I was like sweating bullets. I had no idea. I knew it was going to be loud, mm-hmm. but I it was just like, people might hate this book, and if people hate this book, I'm done. I can't. I, I like I can't fail on this public of a scale in my first mm-hmm. book. Just and thank thank goodness, like 99% of the people who read it seemed to like it. Thank goodness. And so at the time, you know, the dust settled and I was like, I'm safe. Okay. The trade came out, nobody turned on us. And um, so I started coming up with more ideas. And I, I had three ideas kind of right off the bat. Um, it was Spencer and Locke too, um, going to the chapel because I was the best man. I was the, a terrible best man at a wedding um, and the OZ. And the way that the OZ kind of came to being was um, I knew I'd done crime and I had come up with, you know, a bunch of crime ideas and I wanted to try a different genre. Um, Sci-fi is really hard for me. It's that's like the toughest genre for me, um, for a lot of reasons. But I love fantasy because you kind of you're able to sort of lean into characterization as like a power set in a way. Um, you don't have to use the laws of physics. You can kind of bend them as as needed. And uh, so I just wrote. I started writing down just like fantasy stories, just like anything, any influences that kind of spoke to me. You know, you could write, you know, like Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter, or The Wizard of Oz. And as I wrote Wizard of Oz, my cursor got stuck on the word Oz. And it just started kind of flashing in in the middle of it. And I saw it and then it just kind of clicked to me. I was like, what if Oz was an acronym? You know, and I was just thinking like, what are some acronyms that could be OZ? And then I thought Occupied Zone. And that that it clicked like at that moment where I was like, pretty much what Ruben Rojas drew for the first issue cover was exactly the image I had in my head of like, Dorothy, you know, in army gear and like sort of a big juggernaut version of the Tin Man. Um, and I was like, oh, it's not just a fantasy story, but it's a war story. And, uh, you know, we're able to sort of, I, I think we're able to kind of straddle that line a little bit. Like, I don't, we're not Greg, I'm not Greg Rucka, you know, like I don't have that kind of granularity with, with the details, but like I'm able to evoke interviews that I had done as a newspaper reporter with returning veterans and hearing about their struggles kind of reintegrating back into society um, and sort of merge that with kind of sort of the, the, the pulpy adventure of something like a Star Wars. And um, yeah, I, I just, it, it was one of those things as I was thinking of the ideas, it just kind of really, it poured out of me fast, which usually is like a, a good sign for me. I'm a very slow writer. So if it comes out fast, I'm like, oh, there's something here. I've kind of, I've, 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 I've hit the mother look. Um, and yeah, you know, I think it also just, it spoke to a lot of the stuff that I enjoyed writing and enjoyed consuming. Um, you know, it's a marathon. You know, if you don't find like a lot of stuff to like about it, you're not gonna go the distance. And so I was channeling things like uh, like Chrono Trigger and uh, Final Fantasy VII, um, love those games. And if you like those games, you're gonna love uh, as, you know, as Dorothy's sort of uh, uh, unit starts to grow, um, you're gonna see the kind of Chrono Trigger and Final Fantasy vibes. Um, but yeah, it was just, you know, it's always for me, I'm trying to just do something different. Um, I don't like retreading things if I can help it. 
And so I'm always, I get restless. I want to play in different genres. I want to play with different influences and inspirations. And um, yeah, I, I just, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's a lot. Um, but I, I uh, yeah, I just trying to find something that'll kind of get me across the finish line. Uh, that's it's really as simple as that. Yeah, and I think you really, really nailed it here because you said the, I, the ideas just came to you. This story just flows so naturally. And I was, before I knew it, I was at the end of the second issue, I thought I read like 10 pages. And the world you have here is just so fleshed out. And it's such a natural evolution from like any version we've seen before. Thank like, because there's, there's been, you know, a few Return to Oz stories before, but I don't think any of them have had the same level of like, depth that this one does this one feels so thought out thought out and full and that's just that was so incredible to me so i i really think you nailed the the standing out part nothing oh, oh. here feels like we've seen it before that means a lot i mean thank you i i just um you know it's funny i i had read a bunch of the l frank Baum novels in college i did a class on adolescent literature and so i, I wrote a term paper on how um the land of oz was i, I compared it to um stan and jack's marvel you know, where I was saying he was building on continuity like decades before the House of Ideas ever existed. And um, and so, yeah, it was it was kind of funny. You never know what kind of like weird knowledge from like, you know, in your college days suddenly become very, very relevant, uh, you know, uh, uh, years later. Um, but yeah, it was just, you know, I think the Wizard of Oz, it's cultural osmosis. I mean, that's part of the thing that kind of attracted it to me was everybody knows the Wizard of Oz. Everybody's seen the Dorothy Gale or the 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 uh, the 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 Warner Brothers film, um, and uh, it, it, by that it's sort of like oh do you know Wizard of Oz and everybody usually thinks oh yeah it's kind of you know they think oftentimes sort of a tame kind of you know old school old style movie and then you're like oh but just splice that with Mad Max and that usually gets people to stop at least enough to be like wait what did you just say and just enough to sort of I, that's why I like those kind of high concepts a little bit is it's so easy to just keep scrolling. It's so easy to pass by at the con and be like, whatever, there's a million things. But if there's something that gets somebody to just stop for a second and be like, wait a minute, what did you just say? That's enough to get my foot in the door and that's enough to do the sales pitch and that's enough to get them to flip through the book. And if they can flip through the book, I feel Vegas odds that they'll pick it up. Not for my writing, but the art looks that good. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, it's 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 just a um, that's that's always the thing. It's it's just how do I get people out of that just endless scroll and get them to pay attention for just one second? And I find that sometimes I don't like doing shock for shock value's sake. Um, mm -hmm. I want to justify it, but having that little bit of shock, that little bit of surprise, that little bit of uh, sort of a laugh that they didn't see coming. Um, that I think is like my secret weapon in a lot of ways. And I think that's any success I've had um, in addition to the tremendous artists and co-creators I've worked with because they're really the real heroes here. Um, I think that's that, that's my other secret weapon. I like that a lot. I think it's clear to anyone that explores your work that world building is such a talent of yours. Um, I think these first two issues of the OZ we were able to read really demonstrate that and are sort of a tour de force of how you're able to create worlds. And then 
the last chunk of any given book, obviously, is where you get to climax all the themes. Yeah. But with this specific chunk of the OZ that's coming out, it's the middle of the yeah. book. So how, how did you write the middle of the OZ and what challenges came with that? So, you know, so it's interesting because so I had written the OZ originally. I, I had, I think, if not the whole book written, the vast majority of it. I'm pretty... No, I'm pretty sure the book was done. I'm pretty sure the book was fully written by the time that I had decided maybe I would do a Kickstarter. So so in that regard, uh, I was actually very fortunate that I'd written it as six individual standard-sized issues and realized like, oh, the way I've structured it, it pairs nicely as double-sized. Um, and in fact, looking back on it, I'm glad we did it this way. I think, you know, it, 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 it gives us the heft and the momentum of something, but it keeps it from being too decompressed, you know, um, and... I think, uh, so yeah, for the middle, I, I always have fun with the middle because I'm kind of like, all right, I just get to like, just cut loose. You know, I don't have to worry as much about the exposition. I don't have to worry as much about the world building. I don't even have to really worry as much about establishing my leads. I'm just like, okay, what kind of crazy stuff can I throw them into? Um, and so it's like, it's figuring out like for Spencer and Locke, it was like, what's like, let's do a car chase. You know, um, for going to the chapel, it was, I consider that a, a reverse car chase uh, because they're trying to escape and then they immediately are like, we have to get back to the chapel immediately. Uh, the police are going to shoot us. Um, you know, I think the, the cool thing about the OZ that I think stands out compared to the rest of my work is um, we were introducing, we're introducing new characters. Um, you know, it was something that writing it in singles, I was kind of like, oh man, like I, I don't, it's, it's one thing I didn't love. And now seeing it kind of released in Kickstarter, I'm like, oh, no, 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 this was the right move. Where our first issue, it's Dorothy and the Tin Soldier and um, a little bit of, uh, of Toto in the mix. Now we get, we get all of them, but we get to see a lot more with um, the Scarecrow. We get to see a lot more with the Prince of Lions, who's a super fun character. I think that's Ruben's favorite character to draw. Um, and uh, Jack Pumpkinhead. Um, and so we're sort of, we're, we're finally assembling the last of the cast in this, in this middle, uh, episode, and we're able to really put them through their paces. Um, you know, big set pieces are, are coming. Um, what I'll say is without spoiling too much, a big influence on this middle issue was, um, X-Men 2. Um, so, uh, you know, and if, if there's some particular scenes that you like in that one, you'll probably like this. Um, you know, I, I, I just, uh, yeah, it was kind of a fun way to just keep escalating things. Um, now that sort of all the, I'd eaten my vegetables, so to speak, this is just pure candy. Um, uh, and so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm super stoked. Uh, and I think honestly, I think Ruben and Whitney have really leveled up in a big way. Um, the first, the first issue, especially we were all still kind of figuring each other out. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and and uh, I know Ruben really was kind of laying it all out in the field with that with with our first issue, but you know he didn't know me from a hole in the wall. You know he didn't really know these characters uh, uh, as well as he would have wanted to. I mean, this is where he really hits his stride. Um, and Whitney, like now that she's had really two issues, the equivalent of to get to know Ruben's style, uh, I had already said in the last Kickstarter. I usually give my colorists a lot of notes and I always feel bad for them because it's like colors make or break your book. Um, I, I'm a firm believer that colors can either elevate the best of art or it can like crush it. 
Um, and so Whitney, she was the first colorist I've ever worked with who I was like, nope, I don't really have notes here. Like rubber stamp, this looks superb. Um, and she's just such a wonderful collaborator to deal with. I, 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 uh, I've already told her, I was like, I, I really hope this is the first of many books we're working on together because like a colorist that you can trust, um, it's really, it's worth, it's worth their weight in gold. And I, I've been so fortunate to work with uh, colorists like Jason Smith um, and Matt Miller um, and, and Liz Kramer. Um, and, but Whitney is just, she's something else. Uh, I, I, I love working with her. Um, but yeah, so yeah, it's just this middle, you know, I, I don't know, it's, it, I feel like I'm, I'm writing with the, with the breaks off, which is, it's very freeing and very exciting. Um, yeah, the middles are always the, the, actually the easiest part for me. It's, it's uh, sticking and landing at the end. That's the hard part. That's, that's the perfect combination. Mad Max and no breaks. That's what I like to hear. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you can, like, for example, I mean, there's been a lot of reasons for this, but, like, there's a reason why, like, I was able to write Spencer and Locke and Spencer and Locke 2 almost back-to-back, and why, like, I'm still working on Volume 3, you know? Um, it's it's in part because I've had a lot of other books that I've written since Spencer and Locke 2, whereas I wrote those literally back-to-back. Um, but also, just, it's hard, and you want to make sure that, like, you stick that landing. Um, you know, if you're doing things uh, in, in a three-part whatever... I almost consider part two to be the free space. You know, that's where it's just like, oh, you know, you already did the hard part of setting up the world. All you got to do is do it louder. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I, I think I think part two of the OZ, uh, granted, I haven't, you know, I mean, we're, we haven't started drawing part three yet, so maybe maybe that'll, that'll up the ante. But I, I have the feeling issue two, it may be my favorite issue of the whole series. Well, that has me very excited. <laughs> Just a little. I'm, I'm a little bit too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited. Uh, yeah, no, I, you know, I've been sort of gearing up. I mean, you know, the one thing about a Kickstarter, it is a little different than like a direct market release. I think, you know, direct market, it's just, you, you do the marathon of getting the book out and then you get to sort of breathe for a little while until the book gets announced. And then you kind of do then you're sort of on the marathon of promoting the book. But once the book hits stores, you're kind of like, all right, that's it. You know, nothing else I can do. Or once final order cutoff date hits, there's nothing you can do. Um, Kickstarter, it really is, you kind of have to psych, I, I feel like I've had to psych myself out in a, in a lot of ways. Um, you know, sort of building off of the spine of the last Kickstarter, but kind of being like, all right, you know, what did I do? What could I do differently last time? Um, you know, how do I incorporate catching up for people who missed the campaign last time? Um, you know, figuring out how do I simplify things? Um, because I did not anticipate shipping 1,200 books out of my two-bedroom, uh, you know, uh, last time. And also figuring out, you know, are there ways to kind of make this a little less stressful on, on myself and my, my, my collaborators? We're giving ourselves a, a little bit of a longer runway to, 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 to get the book wrapped and get the book fulfilled just because I don't want, I don't want to kill Ruben. I don't want to kill Whitney. Um, you know, I don't want to kill myself. Um, and I also don't want my readers to be ticked off. You know, um, we, 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 we made our deadline last time, but like we just made our deadline. And, um, so I, I, I think it's been a, a different kind of learning experience and one that, uh, I'm curious to see how it'll play out. 
to, to be honest. Um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to go into it with no expectations, um, you know, other than uh, please let us get funded. Um, and beyond that, I just hope that uh, our Emerald Army was, was pleased enough with our last issue that uh, they'll come back for round two. So with the Kickstarter, you talked about how the OZ was intended for the direct market and then sort of ended up on Kickstarter. Sure. Do you foresee yourself making specific projects for Kickstarter? Or yeah. what I, does that relationship look like for you in the oh, future? I'm a huge fan of Kickstarter. And I think, you know, it's funny. I grew up hearing about kind of the, the pendulum between licensed work and creator-owned work, you know, where you, you, you get your start at a creator on a smaller creator on place you'd eventually make your way to the majors you know marvel dc whatnot and then once you've sort of spent time there and built that critical mass and that critical audience you would take them back to your creator own work and i'm realizing there's another pendulum here which is um the direct market and kickstarter i i do feel like i love our wednesday warriors and um you know they they, they keep the industry afloat i think there are some readers who will never step foot into a comic shop no matter what you do um, they'll 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 buy their books either on Kickstarter or at a convention or at Barnes and Noble or Amazon or uh, consume through Webtoon, and so I think it's incumbent upon every creator to kind of try to find a way to reunite this fragmented readership diaspora, you know, really invite them all to the same table, and um, so I, I think I, I I will definitely be doing more projects on Kickstarter. Um, you know, it's 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 one of those things I've only started to kind of turn it over in my head because of course I I want to get the OZ done first. I think I think uh, readers will appreciate that um, as opposed to sort of me bouncing between project to project to project. Um, and uh, you know, I want to make sure that nobody feels like they're being taken advantage of, you know, that I, I'm delivering the goods as as promised. Um, but I definitely plan on doing more projects on Kickstarter. Um, I love the interactivity of the platform. I love the fact that you're able to deliver things directly to your readers. You don't have to wait for permission. You don't have to wait for a window in the publishing schedule. And uh, it just feels, you know, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like I felt really great when uh, I got my, you know, my, my first royalty check for uh, Scout's Honor uh, because it was at a, a bigger publisher with an editor that I've known for a long time that I've respected for a long time. But there is something particularly sweet about getting paid for work that you did on your own steam that you put out there with no help, with with no other assistance. And, um, you know, and, and so Kickstarter is gonna be a part of my, my routine, um, I think for the foreseeable future, as long as the platform is viable, I will be there. Um, because yeah, you know, the OZ, I, I've said this was a book that, you know, it took a billion different turns, um, you know, and there were publishers who have said, it said they were interested and then, you know, a fire broke out elsewhere and they had to go run and take care of that. Um, the Kickstarter backers, they believed. They were the first to believe and put their money where their mouths are. And so every time somebody asks, oh, is the OZ gonna go to the direct market? Are you gonna finish the thing on, on Kickstarter? I always say, we have no plans for the direct market at, at, at this venture. Um, you know, if uh, if somebody wants to, to put us out after the Kickstarter, that's just kind of the cherry on top. But um, Kickstarter, this book belongs to Kickstarter. You know, um, our backers are the reason this book exists and um, I owe it to them to make sure that they're taken care of first. So, uh, 
yeah, no, uh, uh, you know, I, I plan on on doing lots of things in Kickstarter uh, in conjunction with the direct market and hoping that we'll kind of sort of keep building that audience and uh, hopefully introduce them to different venues and different avenues to, to, to read other people's comics as well. I like it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, Kickstarter's been such an interesting animal for me because like I started comic books at Barnes and Noble and mm -hmm. then I hopped over to a comic book shop very quickly after that because I was like, I've read all these single floppies that Barnes and Noble has. Yeah, yeah. And then realizing that floppies were overcoming my life, I became like a hardcovers and trades person and like yep. digital comics. Yep. And so Kickstarter has been interesting for me to explore because there's a part of me that is like, it's almost too good to be true. You know, it like exists in its own little world. And in my head, I'm like, this is a whole different kind of creator owned than even the creator-owned comics that I support week to week, you know? Yeah, it, I, I will say it's certainly easier. I think it's, I, I, the thing I love most about Kickstarter, it's so easy to explain to somebody who isn't, you know, isn't immersed in this. You know, um, it's literally, here's the link, you click it, you, you, you agree you're buying it, and there you go. Um, and and I, I, I think that made it a lot easier, especially amongst my friends and family, um, you know, I've had to explain to my parents, how do you pre-order a book with the diamond code at the local comic shop? And Which some, is... Yeah. I mean, and I, and don't get me wrong. I, I love our retailers. I mean, it's just it, the system that they've, that they've inherited, you know, there's a lot of hoops that they got to jump through. Um, uh, and that's assuming that everything even goes right. And, you know, there's a degree of human error that goes into things. Um, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've ordered something from diamond that, you know, the... That you know that got damaged, or you know a, a shop got shorted, or you know my girlfriend's parents pre-ordered a book and the comic shop didn't have it. Um, you know, and and being able to just say bit.ly slash the OZ comic, there you go, um, and you can share it on whatever social media you want. That um, it's a degree of accessibility, I think. Um, and like you said. Uh, it, you know, it's also, you know, some people are like, I really want the physical copies and that's what I want. There are other people, you know, who are like, I don't have room. I'm in a two bedroom. You know, I, I, I can only do digital or trades and we've got options for that as well. Um, and, and something that's, I think, particularly cool about Kickstarter that is the, is the reward tiers, you know? Um, so if somebody, for example, is just now learning about me based on, on your podcast, uh, they can go to the OZ's Kickstarter and they can, there are going to be tiers with every single trade I've ever done. Um, and so that way you can just totally catch up on everything I've ever written um, and, 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 you know, just kind of knock it out in, in one go or, you know, um, avenues like backer kit where you say, okay, you know, I, I, I really want to try out the OZ, but I've, you know, I've heard uh, that scouts honor book sounds interesting. Well, we'll have an option for you. Sort of like the, the candy aisle, uh, you know, when you're going to checkout where you want to pick one thing up a la carte, great, we'll let you do that. Um, yeah, it's just, it's a lot of flexibility. Um, and while it does make uh, packing uh, uh, and shipping certainly a pain in the butt, um, you know, beyond that, if it if it's, if it makes readers happy, um, you know, then it's it's worth going the extra mile for them. I like that. I, I would add my voice. I definitely came to Kickstarter because I liked your work. Yours was the first book I kickstarted. And you. so, yeah, and it, it's gotten me to kickstart other books. So 
I, uh, for anyone listening to this that tends to like the kind of books that we like, but might feel hesitancy about kickstarting a book, it was nothing but a positive experience for me every, every single time. I think the OZ was especially fun because it was fun to see you, who I care about your success, to Thanks. blow these goals out of the water like day and then week after week. I just, I always like getting the emails like, David Pepos. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we blew another thing out of the water. I have to figure out a stretch goal now because you guys <laughs> keep supporting this. That was I, that was the hardest part of the last Kickstarter. Uh, I'll be honest. Um, yeah. I I kind of came into it with like an idea for a stretch goal in my back pocket, but like you know it wasn't you know. Um, and uh, yeah, it was just like oh uh, you know we blew through this in two hours, and I I distinctly remember. I was a little panicked, you know, I was sleep deprived first and foremost. And I was kind of like, well, what do I do? I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And um, Charlie Stickney, again, I can't say enough good things about Charlie Stickney. He is, he is the rare figure in the industry who's not only creatively talented, but he knows the business side backwards and forwards. And he's so just generous with his time and his advice. And Charlie gave was the one who gave me permission that he was like, you can wait till tomorrow. You can like like give yourself like a day or two to like reorient yourself a little bit, um, and then you can kind of figure out the game plan. And even then, I was I was scrambling to kind of figure out. All right, what do we do? Like, all right, we're gonna you know. Thankfully, I had had some pinups made um, that I was thinking, oh, I'll save these as covers down the road. I was like, nope, okay, we're using these as pinups. We're using these as prints. Um, you know, Monhouse was, you know, uh, kind enough, you know, we used his, his design to make, uh, to make pins, um, of, of the Winged Monkey Squadron. I, without spoiling too much, uh, I will say we have a stretch goal in mind that if anybody who liked that pin, um, tell your friends to back us because we've got something that I think might even be cooler. Um, yeah, you know, just kind of, just really, it was it was really running the clock on 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 that one. Uh, you know, my buddy uh, George Marston um, and and his and their band uh, uh, Bed Death. Um, you know, they were kind enough to uh, to to do an original song for the OZ last time. Um, and you know, it was just yeah, that was like that was like the toughest part. Not even like kind of keeping people talking about it because I you know you can hear me talking all the time now. Um, I obviously don't get tired of talking about these books. But just figuring out like, oh man, what do I keep doing so people like us, uh, so people want to like keep backing us. And um, thankfully now I've, I've more or less, there's only one other thing I need to get wrapped up before the Kickstarter launches. But I've got ideas of sort of if hopefully, you know, we, we blow through our goals, we've got some really cool stretch ideas um, for, for, for people just to keep them as excited and invested uh, as as uh, they were in the last campaign. For sure. I think just one more word on Kickstarter. If you're listening to a comic book podcast right now, you like the sense of community that comes with comic books, right? I think that's something that is very important to me, and I think it's sometimes hard to explain to other people. Like half the fun of this hobby is that I have a weird thing in common with people all across the country, all across the world, you know? And... Kickstarter feels like you've plugged into the amp of people that are excited about comic books and are excited about the things you are and that sense of community you feel 
when a book comes out every week, you get to say like, I helped make this book happen. Like my name's going to be in this book. I like, it feels special to you. You know, like the OZ will always feel special to me. And I think if you kickstart a book, this episode's dropping the day the Kickstarter goes, I think you should go and give it a chance because it was such a special experience for me to be involved with the first round of the OZ. And I want you to have that as well. Thank you. So shout out to to the listener there before we move on with the rest of us all shooting the crap. (laughs) Uh, No, I think I I couldn't have said it better. Um, I think I think the 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 community, you know, both the Kickstarter community and the comics community as a whole. I I think we I feel so lucky um, and I feel so grateful that like so many people really kind of came together to champion um, our work. And, um, I, I, it's, it's a, it's a big responsibility. It's a big privilege. And, um, it's one that, uh, I've tried all the stable jobs. Um, you know, this is the first one that I felt like I could really be good at. And so, um, it's something I, I, I even on the hard days, I try not to take it for granted because, um, yeah, it's the best job in the world. And uh, I'm, I'm thrilled to, 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 that, that readers allow me to, to, to be a part of that. I don't know if somebody was talking. Oh, I can't hear you, Ann. I think your sounds. Oh, there you go. Sorry. Okay. Yeah, I was I was muted, of course, because that's what happens. I'm just me. She <laughs> wanted she wanted to give me some editing work to do. She's like, this has been You're too welcome. easy for Dallas. <laughs> like that big old punk. Guys, you've completely made me lose my chance. <laughs> I am a mess. I am so sorry. No, please. I have a fast. Yeah, this if there's a campaign to back, it's this one. You've delivered beyond belief and everything you're doing sounds absolutely fantastic. It's there's only so many ways I can praise you. <laughs> oh, thank you. But like, yeah, it's I have um I keep thinking about it and I have to ask you, because this is a book that has so many crazy characters in it. Yeah. Did you have a specific one that was more fun to write than the others? Oh yeah, well, um, that's a great question. There, there's a couple that really stood out to me. I mean, so Dorothy's the heart of the book, you know, and I, I see her as sort of like a spiritual cousin to Detective Locke from Spencer right. and Locke, and so, um, you know, she, her voice is kind of the anchor of the whole book. Um, I think the two characters that really were the most fun to write, um, it, and it's funny, you 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 won't expect it. Um, Jack Pumpkinhead. Mm-hmm. Um, is super fun. I I described him um, when I was talking with 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 Ruben and and Whitney and, and, and Dave Hopkins. I a big inspiration for his voice was um, Taskmaster from 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 Marvel. Just this kind of like blue collar mercenary, um, you know who you know he's 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 kind of he's got the uh, like sort of that 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 Brooklyn way of talking, you know, um, and and just I. Every time I'd write him, I, he just he he always stood up to me, um, and so it, it, it's going to be fun seeing him, um, you know, kind of flex his muscles a little bit in the next issue, and then really seeing um, he's got some really fun beats in uh, in part three, as as, as well. Um, but I have to say, my favorite my favorite character in general, the one that I 
I'm always happiest with in, in this book, um, it's Toto. Um, I, uh, That's the answer I was hoping for. <laughs> you know, I, I, um, it's pretty, my, my story with Toto is it's, it's pretty personal. Um, you know, I, uh, I was, when I was writing the OZ, when I first started writing it, um, I had just taken in my, my parents, Karen Terrier, Holly. And uh, for those who've watched the, the Judy Garland Wizard of Oz movie, um, Toto is a Karen Terrier. And um, she she passed just before everything locked down with COVID. Um, she, she had melanoma and we, we kind of nursed her through about a year of radiation. And she, uh, she, she, she died in my arms um, shortly before COVID. And um, I was getting the artwork for Toto shortly after she passed. And um, I don't think it's going to be a huge, huge spoiler. We were not going to have much of Toto in this book. Mm -hmm. um, and then we, we got Holly's diagnosis um, right around at the end of um, Spencer and Locke 2, I, I, I'd say. And um, it broke my heart. And I said, you know, something about like the energy you want to put out in the world. I was like, I refuse to write this character out of this book. And so uh, Toto, you know, it's funny. I kind of wrote him as like a little British old man, and I don't really know why I did that, but I just it it, it felt very sophisticated and regal. And um, you'll see in in uh, when the Kickstarter goes up, we even gave him some little uh, doggy spectacles. Um, you know, he, he's he's my favorite, and uh, we're gonna have some like some really fun moments. But not only does he work as like you know sort of the exposition guy for the book, uh, which is totally fair. You need somebody who can do that, but um, yeah, it's just there's something absurd about, you know, you've got like these these guys, you know, these like badass warriors with guns and axes and bombs and claws. And then you've got this like little terrier uh, like running on somebody's shoulder. Um, you know, I, I, I'm a dog person, um, you know, and uh, this was sort of every time that I've written Toto, it was sort of uh, my love letter to the dog we lost. And uh so, you know, those who have read my, you know, see my Twitter feed, you know, we, we, we have a new Karen Terrier, uh, Ruby, which we, we named after the Ruby slippers. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's funny, like, she's very much a different dog, you know, uh, there's no replacing Holly. Um, but I think having Toto play the role that he does, um, it certainly does my heart uh, a, a world of good. And, uh, you know, so, so somewhere in, in, in puppy heaven slash squirrel hell, uh, you know, uh, Holly is, uh, you know, hopefully looking down and uh, uh, enjoying what we've got uh, coming in the OZ. I, there's your next book right there. Whose heaven is whose hell in any given. <laughs> that, that you can mind that. that I love that. <laughs> all, all I'll say is it's not the only dog related book I've got in the works. So I like it. That's fantastic. Because. Yeah, when Toto showed up, I, I low-key screamed <laughs> in the book. It was just such a fantastic reveal. Um, Ruben did such, I, you know, yeah. I don't think Ruben has dogs that I'm aware of. Um, but he just, when I saw that page, I like, I emailed him. I was like in tears when I saw it. Um, and I was just like, you nailed it. Like, um, and I think if you like Toto in our first issue, He's gonna have some 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 big damn hero moments in the in the next issue uh, that you're you're not gonna be you're not gonna want to look away from. Um, but yeah, he's my favorite character I think in the whole book. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah, of course. No, anything to to represent my puppies uh, on a podcast. I like it. 
I think my final question that, that I need to know, every time we've talked, uh, we talked a lot about the movies that have inspired you. And a lot of things, and I think that's a lot of the magic of your work, is you bring from other mediums into the very special comic book medium yeah. what works, right? I, I would like to know what comic books, maybe not just necessarily the of Z, but what comic books and comic creators inspire you the most? Boy, um, it's a great question. I mean, you know, I, I like the thing I've synthesized from a lot of places. Um, I think my number one with a bullet is uh, Devin Grayson. Um, if you've ever read uh, her book, uh, her, her run on Batman Gotham Knights uh, mm-hmm. with Roger Robinson, that's kind of like a Rosetta Stone for uh, my work. Um, you know, sad Batman, sad Nightwing, sad Tim Drake, sad uh, Stephanie Brown. Um, you know, I think there's a little bit of sad uh, Barbara Gordon and maybe some sad Cassandra Kane in there. Either way, I mean, you know, it's it that's 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 my jam um, in a, in, a, in a big way. Um, there are a lot of creators that I I've like sort of cherry picked skills from. Um, you know, like I really I, I really like the way that Rick Remender uh, paces action sequences, and so I, that's something I try to like incorporate in my work. Um, you know, uh, something the way that I approach theme. Um, you know, I think this is something that um, you, you know. Jeff Johns did that a lot with his work, um, you know, where he would find what's the theme that's inherent in the premise. You know, there's an issue uh, with uh, Liberty Bell um, from Justice Society of America that's probably one of my favorite single issues of all time, where she tells Damage, he's he'd been disfigured by Professor Zoom, and um, she pointed to the cracked Liberty Bell on her on her chest, and she said, this symbol taught me that just because something has a crack in it doesn't mean you have to throw it away. And like that, like blew my mind when I read it. I read it, in, uh, I think I was in college or just graduated. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, realizing like, oh, even a premise, you can mine a theme out of it in, in an organic way. Um, you know, I, I think um, feels weird to bring him up because like he, he's he's rightly out of the out of the public eye. But even like the intensity of like something that like a Warren Ellis would do in Moon Knight. Um, you know, I remember really trying to channel that hard, um, for my books where it's just like, it's not just a punch, it's like a wrecking ball, you know, like something that you like feel the impact of, of, of these moments. Um, you know, there, there are lots of other creators out there. I mean, I, I, I've said this in a few interviews, but like I, I took a, a, a intro to comics writing course with Dan Slott years ago. He had just taken over Mighty Avengers and, um. I wouldn't understand how characterization works without Dan. So I, I, I own a lot of for my career. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's like, I'm always trying to like learn things from different people. There are certain creators out there who are just too damn smart. And I'm, it breaks my heart being like, oh, I'm never going to be as smart as Hickman or Al Ewing or Kieran Gillen. And I read their stuff with just kind of like awe, you know, it's like, you know, watching Jordan play. Um, you're just like, I'm never going to be that good. I'm, I'm five, eight white Jewish man. Um, but you know, I, uh, it, it's, it's sort of poetry in in motion or in, in writing in this case. Um, I think James Tynan is doing some really interesting stuff. Um, I think it's so interesting, especially having come from the reviewer side of things. I, I was there when James got his start, you know, um, and watching the way that he has really significantly leveled up, even in just like, since, um, something is killing the children, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it's, it is, it is noticeable um, and really just deeply impressive. 
um, the additive way that he's building up to like Batman's world and the way that he's sort of um, really taking big swings, especially with the Department of Truth, which I finally caught up with uh, a couple weeks ago and just was like staggered, um, you know, and, and even Nice House on the Lake. Um, I'm working on something right now that's actually got multiple narrators in that vein. And uh, reading that, it, it kind of felt very validating to be like, okay, like somebody like James is doing something like that. Um, but yeah, you know, I, 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 and then of course there's Hickman, you know, I, uh, Hickman's, Hickman's X-Men, I've already sort of preparing myself mentally. One day Hickman will not write X-Men. Um, and I, it's, it's like preparing for like oh. a death of the family. I'm not Don't ready for it. it. I'm not ready for it. I spiral at least like once every two months, yeah. and Anne always has to be like Dallas. Talk there is time ahead. Time. I'm like I'm on the I'm on the edge, Anne. I'm I, on I, the edge. I went through a lot of not great X Men, Anne. Yeah. As 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 someone who was proud '90s X Men trash, I you know I yeah there's you know and it's just Hickman's X Men. I I say firmly it got me through the pandemic. Um, you know if that is the any any X book is the top of my stack every single week. Um, it's one of those things that I'm like, it is so next level that like I, I could tell you how to I I could walk on Jupiter before I could tell you how to reverse engineer this book. Um, and uh, that's kind of interesting, you know, mm -hmm. for somebody who spends all their time reverse engineering everything they read um, to have a book that you just you couldn't do it if you wanted to. Um, that's uh, it's nice. It's uh, it's 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 really nice, but yeah, you know, I mean, I'm always trying to find new inspiration and 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 new new books just to get me out of bed in the morning. I mean, well, okay, that sounded like a little depressing. I didn't mean it like that, but like, you know, it, it, I think I think for me, I need brain fuel. You know, like I need in, in, inspiring stuff, even if it's not stuff that I pull directly into my work but just something that like reminds me of the fun of it all. Uh, that reminds me like, I love this industry. I love, I love storytelling. Um, yeah, those books, I mean, there's, a, there's, there's both a lot of them and not nearly enough. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it's, it's just, um, but yeah, those, especially Devin Grayson, um, she's, she's a real one and uh, super, super kind and super gracious. I've, I've, I've sent her, uh, I sent her a fan uh, email when Spencer and Locke came out and I was like, I just want to thank you because like this book wouldn't exist without you. And she, uh, yeah, real sweetheart. Uh, just wonderful person. I love that. I, I do want to say you talking about seeing Tynan at the beginning and where he is now. Anne and I, a couple of days ago, we were talking about how we were excited to talk with you and we both were like, it's going to be really fun to watch David's career. Mm -hmm. You know, like I... Like I said on this show, I have seen you level up since Spencer and Locke, and I promise I'm not just like blowing hot air when I genuinely believe you are going to do some comic books that define eras like the people you talked about. I, I want to be a 30-year man. Um, that's that's the thing. I uh, you know I, I I keep saying I was like the Grant Morrison's the 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 Dan Slots. You know, it's statistically it's hard. You know, I mean it's it's already. I already feel like an astronaut being in this business, you know, and, and, you know, you think of like, for example, you know, there's more people who have, have, have gotten NBA championship rings than people who've written Spider-Man, you know? Um, and so it's like having longevity on top of that, you know, it's a statistical anomaly. And um, 
I think some of it is just refusing to leave, <laughs> um, but some of it is just pure dumb luck. And just for me, I, I sort of say, I'm gonna take as many swings as I can. And some of the books are gonna be bigger in scale and some of them are gonna be a little smaller, like going to the chapel. Um, but I feel like as long as I keep trying to just take swings, I, I sort of have this, if I build it, they will come hopefully mentality. And um, yeah, I wanna be here for the long haul. That's why I keep doing different things. And that's why I keep trying to just reinvent myself a little bit. And so I, I, I really appreciate the, the, the words of confidence. Um, you know, I, I, I'm excited. I mean, you know, the OZ I'm, I'm really thrilled about. And I, I have a few other things in the hopper that um, I'm really excited about. Um, you know, I, a couple, I've got uh, a couple of things that are sort of homages to some some stuff that I, I either grew up loving or, or wound up loving later as an adult. And um, yeah, and then there's, there's one project in particular that, um, you know, if all goes well and um, uh, and, and, and we sort of clear through the last bit of hurdles, you're going to see it and uh, it's going to be the biggest thing I've ever worked on. Um, and uh, you're going to be like that lunatic, that crazy idiot. Um, and I can't wait for people to, to, to see that um, because, yeah, if, uh, if all goes as I'm hoping, um, it's going to be a wild and crazy book and you're going to see exactly the DNA of where it came from. I get, and you're going to be right here to talk about it. Sorry, cool. you're already booked. You're already booked. Uh, consider it. Consider it a done deal. We will make that happen. Awesome. Perfect. And do you have any last questions before we let David pitch away about Kickstarter? No, I think that's it. I think I'm just excited to see like Clifford the Big Red Doll written by David. <laughs> 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 Ready to cry over that. So just, 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 just you wait. Just you wait. Uh, uh, <laughs> Yeah, there, there'll be something fun coming for you, I promise. Okay, okay. All right, David, like I said, I plan to drop this episode on the day of your Kickstarter going off. So a huge help. Um, yeah, August 16th, I think we're going live. Um, we're waiting to hear back in a couple of outlets, but I think we're just going to go live at like 7.30 a.m. Pacific. Um, so yeah, anytime that day, uh, uh, we will. I will I will shout this from the rooftops and... Uh, yeah, you know, I, I think um, to everyone listening, you know, thank you for your time. Thank you for your support. Um, you know, you can sign up for our pre-launch page at uh, bit.ly slash the OZ comic um, or the OZ comic too. Both links will take you to the same page. Um, and yeah, you know, um, every bit matters. Uh, every dollar counts, uh, especially if you want to back in the first 48 hours. That helps place us in Kickstarter's algorithms. And we have some special early bird discounts uh, to, to incentivize people. To show up uh, on those on that first day, um, so yeah, we, we're we're really excited to to, to have everybody, and uh, yeah, this is I think this is some of the best work of my career. My collaborators are just next level fantastic, so um, I can't wait for you to to join us in the trenches of the OZ. Awesome, I love it. All right, um, I'm gonna do that insufferable outro stuff now that everyone oh. just skips anyway. But here we go. <laughs> If you liked the show and want to hear more from us through the week, please go follow our Twitter account at CMX Collective, or you can find each of us at Dallas underscore comics, at Ann Comics, and at Lexi Taylor underscore one, two, three. 
If you enjoyed the show and want to show your support, please go to Apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening, and give us a five-star review, and we will read it off if we're prepared on the show. Like, are we? Do we have any ready to go today? No, we don't. It's a special episode. Um, oh, before I forget, um, David, do you want to plug yourself on um, sure. social media as well? Yeah, you can follow me on uh, Twitter and Instagram at PeposD or David Pepos Comics on Facebook. You can also visit my website at davidpepos.com, as well as subscribe to my newsletter, Pep Talks, at bit.ly slash pepnews. And finally, feel free to email us with your questions or comments for the show at thecomicscollective at gmail.com. All right. See you next week for our episode on... Haven't decided yet because we're recording this way ahead of time. (laughs) Thanks, everybody. Thank you.